Good afternoon and welcome. This is Fissionable Faith. We are uh, the four clergymen of the apocalypse gathered each week to consider the place of faith and energy and culture and the life we share together. Uh, my name is Dave Messner. I'm a minister in the Unitarian tradition, and I am delighted to be convening uh, three of the uh, uh, best wise guys, uh, wise men I know. <laughs> uh, let me go around and just introduce, uh, I'll let the folks introduce themselves. Uh, Rabbi. I am Robert Haas. I am a rabbi in the reform movement, and on the side, I am also a stand-up comic. Which is your funny side? Just point, just point. Thank you. We'll shoot from there. This is the good side. This is the funny, funny, evil comedian side. I see it. Reverend, Reverend Billy. Hi, everybody. Billy Hester. Good to be back with you. I was in the big A for a while. It's great to be back with my three comrades here. Um, I'm from the uh, Wesleyan Methodist tradition, and I wanted to show everybody what a Protestant minister's office looks like during Holy Week. I'm just glad we got you out of the big A. I was, I was worried. I was worried about you. So, uh, Father Cheney, where, the, where have you been up to? I'm the Rev Deadhead Michael Cheney. I'm an Episcopal priest and collector of miniature Hot Wheels Porsches because I'll never own one for real. <laughs> it's better, better for the earth and better for the family. I can top them there. I own fake lightsabers. I've got. I can never own one for real. All my fantasy life takes place at one twentieth scale. I have, I have my best life is kept in a diorama on my desk. Uh, well, let's begin. I, I'm being silly, but this is not a silly week. This is our ho ho holy days and holidays uh, this week. Spring religious holidays are upon us and around us, and so to kick it off this week. I want to ask you uh, of a fondest um, memory of a religious holiday uh, from your childhood that you still you still keep with you and it, it sort of fires you as you lead lead these holidays. Who'd like to go first? Billy, you moved. You made a noise. Go ahead, Billy. Hey, I've got it. I've got it. I've been away, so I should be on my game here. All right. No. Um, Listen, you know what first came to mind? Probably something most people aren't familiar with. It's from the Methodist tradition, but John Wesley actually got it from the Moravians, mm. um, something called the Love Feast. And we tended to do it on New Year's Eve. And it was a great, it was held at night. Um, and you, it was a meal of just a bun, a, a bread bun that had a special recipe, like different people would have the in the congregation um, had the recipe would bring the buns for everyone to share and you either had water or like we hot chocolate was a big thing we the kids liked and um, you know it was very informal where you're you're communing together and um, you know the minister would basically offer a prayer and some scripture read but other than the fellowship what would happen is if somebody felt um, led to stand up and back in those days we call it gave their testimony but it was basically sharing part of their story and I can just remember as a kid remembering oh my gosh I didn't know Mr. Jones went through that I had no idea or to see him with a tear and have to pull out his handkerchief to say how thankful he was for this church family and 
what it had meant to him. And, you know, it was just, and then, and so you would have this experience with these people um, you normally didn't see sharing like this. And then at the end, we would all go out into the large courtyard and gather in a circle and sing a hymn. And that was the conclusion. And it, it, it just was so cool. It was a, a special time of, of relationship and community building. And um, it's something I, I, you know, I've never really, we haven't, um, at my current church, we haven't done it. And I'm not sure why, but it's always been one of my fondest memories. Beautiful. What, what is that linked to uh, in the liturgical year? You said New, New Year's Eve. Is New that a kind of start of year? I think you can do it anytime, but our church did it on New Year's Eve was when we, we did it. Yeah. Do you and your current church in some ways invite testimonials, people to? We during stewardship season yeah, about the money. We want people to know how much the church is making a difference in people's lives. That's kind of where we incorporated it, of course, and it was in in the context of worship. This, of course, was more or less. This was held like in the social hall and was less formal. And uh, people who normally, you know, and it was kind of more of a Quaker thing when the spirit moved you instead of calling on somebody to think about what they were going to say, this was a, a more of a spirit moving you to share. Or, and there's nothing wrong with during pledge season, I have to affirm, because I know I have <laughs> congregants listening, listening. That is that is a righteous purpose. Uh, and we do that, but people prepare, you know, in a, in a way there's something something wonderful about the invitation to to share as moved and to, just to create spaces because extemporaneous, because things happen. You know, beautiful things happen. Well, well, and you know, it is called the love feast. And, you know, you really did feel the love, the community, you know, and so much, you know, growing up in the church, you heard about so much judgment, you know, and guilt at church. But no, you didn't experience that at all in this. And it was wonderful to see love lifted up within the faith community. Yeah, it's wonderful. We had in, when I was a teenager, we would have love feasts. And the uh, notion, as I recall, Cheney's already laughing. This, but uh, oh, was it, love I wasn't making a joke. I wasn't making a joke. <laughs> Nothing to do with Burning Man, by the way, right? <laughs> I'm just excited that you guys do love feasts. I mean, that sounds amazing. We have nothing like that. Not even that phrase is in my religion, but I'm bringing it in. Our, our love feast, you couldn't use your hands. Uh, <laughs> this keeps getting better. Maybe we're not bringing this to the Jewish world. Yeah. You got to unpack that, Dave. Well, I, I used to joke, there. I got my dog uh, a thing called a lick mat. And when I first got which slows down their feeding because it's like a nubbly mat that you, their food you poured in a pool down there. And, they, and I said, I'm having a dinner party and I'm just putting lick mats out and see what people do when they get there. Just ladle the, ladle the gumbo right on the mat. No, that's not what it was though in youth. In youth, somebody else had to feed you. Oh, yeah. You could be there with someone else offers there you. You, food, you know what I mean? So it, it, that was but kind then of- you tough. can use your hands. You just use it to feed somebody else. Yeah, you can't You can't feed yourself. That That's the way to say it. You can use- That makes yourself. a whole lot of difference. <laughs> it's, you gotta you gotta ask for clarification on these rules when you walk into a room uh in any case but that, that's a i think that's a wonderful a wonderful tradition uh father cheney how about you is there is there a religious holiday memory that 
But, but before well, yeah, he goes, I just want you to know what you guys almost did to me. For a second there, I thought the UU church was a place where you went and bobbed for apples. You have your hands tied behind your back where you have to eat all of the shaving cream in your mouth until you find the, the dime or whatever the prize is. So it was like a carnival. So now would, I'm glad that, you that. Made it. I understand that now. Now that you, I mean, we would do that. We actually are pretty flexible and love feast. If you're invited to a Unitarian love feast, it could go some different directions. I will just suggest to you. Do not so wear your suit and tie for that. <laughs> no, we're, we're pretty conservative folks. Okay. Uh, before I get in more trouble, trouble, Father Cheney. You know, Christmas has always been my favorite holiday hands down, but uh, you know, aside from the kind of family traditions growing up, we had a fabulous uh, Christmas pageant on Christmas Eve. And we had costumes that were in our church. They're probably dated back to the 1920s. These things were ancient, and in particular with the cow costume or the sheep costume, the donkey costume that really looked more appropriate for Halloween. They were really kind of frightening animals. But, you know, when you're a kid, it's this thing. First, you're an angel and you got a white gown and a halo made out of a cutout pie plate. And then when you get a little older, like, ooh, maybe I can to be a shepherd, you know, and you finally make it a shepherd territory. And then if you're lucky, when you got to be like, you know, nine or 10 years old, you might actually get to be one of the three magi. That was super exciting. But there was something about this kind of, you know, thrown together Christmas pageant in these old dusty costumes that were kind of frightening. And the script that always kind of went off book every year and something would happen like an angel would fart in front of everybody or the donkey would trip over some some old lady's walker so it was always comical look back on that and i i lament we don't do that any longer do you do you not do that anymore well we don't i have a small mission church now yeah yeah you know when we were little my kids were little we were at a church where they did participate and something like that, but it, it certainly didn't have a, a fraction of the character that my experience had. We, we had a no rehearsal pageant this year at my church, and I just loved it. All of our little angels, they had wings and masks, and it just, it was uh, just an amazing, oh wow, an amazing scene to me. Uh, it really just struck me, because I, I guess we hadn't, this is the first year in the pandemic we sort of had been together, but it was a kind of striking nativity scene, all of like the the costumes from the attic and, and the mass and the tiny people it was very, it was very sweet. Yeah. Rabbi Haas, tell me something. Well, you get to pick what you talk about. Well, if we're talking about my youth, I, I thought I was just amazed by Billy's story because when I think of myself as a child, I don't remember these big emotional, awe-inspiring moments because, you know, religion was what you did, but, you know, was a kid. So I didn't, uh, really come at it that I love I remember being in the in the play for Hanukkah where I got to be the king I wanted to be the head of the alien delegation but I ended up with the king which was really happy because my costume was better and I had more lines so I remember doing that I think my favorite um, moment from my childhood that I remember comes from this season from the Passover season for us and during Passover it's the responsibility of the leader of the Seder, which is the dinner, to hide part of the matzah. You hide the matzah, the kids look for it, and then they get prizes, and that's kind of one of the games. And one year, um, my grandfather, who was leading our Seder, this was just for our family, hid it, and none of us could find it. And I, I really believe that even though I was the eldest of all the 
grandkids, I never found the afikoman. And so we're all frustrated. It's late in the evening. And I go right into my uh, grandfather's arms almost. And I stand up to him and I say, Papa, we need to know where it is right now. And I bang the table <laughs> and we hear the crack because the matzo was under the tablecloth right in front of him. So that was the only year I found the matzo and I got the grand prize, whatever it was. And so it was just, you know, Passover is about being with the family and the community. And uh, it's those moments where you remember being with your family. Sometimes it's as an adult, obviously, I remember more of the emotional things and all the spiritual stuff. But as a kid, I just remember the camaraderie and being with family and all the little things. That's wonderful. I, you know, the, the family Seder, uh, sticks in my mind too for personal reasons it, i associate it as very much a home festival you know home events around around the holidays in addition to the the church ones that's it's and for, for me seder is like that and 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 christmas is like that wonderful because it has resonances with home rituals and and uh church mm -hmm. rituals mm -hmm. they kind of interact with each other you're rushing between one to the other at all times <laughs> carrying food both directions and in order to participate in all of the life of the church. Let me ask this question. How in you all lead religious communities now, what are the, the, the kind of rituals and practices pageants are one that you, you're most enthusiastic about making? I was, I was, it was coming to mind for me, um, think about like mixed spaces. I was thinking about, we did in one of my churches, uh, we experimented with dinner church, which was, you know, music around the table and some prayer around the table and people sharing some, that, that testimonial idea was, was tricky because people were just, it was like an open sharing, doing gratitudes and, uh, and then just breaking bread and drinking wine. I love that. I got to get that back. That was a kind of a happy holiday of its own making. What do you do in church that's, that's most joyful for you to lead now? I mean, we're, I'm, I'm from a very liturgical tradition and we're still a very liturgical church. We tend to be a little more experimental with that liturgy, but you know, with the liturgical season, there's always something going on. Like right now we're during, we're in, in Holy week uh, tomorrow or Thursday, we have a Maundy Thursday service, which features a love feast or an agape meal as, as we call it. Uh, and it, it features foot washing. It features a Eucharist. Good Friday is a very, solemn and stoic observation and of course easter is joyous and uplifting and i you know from a liturgical tradition you really can't have easter without holy week that precedes it it's important to the observation but like uh you mentioned uh dinner services i i we back before the pandemic once a month we incorporated a meal into the actual liturgy so our service was the meal itself and someone would read as we ate and I would preach while we ate and the bread and the wine and the table became our Eucharist. Um, and it was very much in line with the way that the early church had community services uh, before it was kind of incorporated. There's so much to, so many different ways to worship in so many different forms. I find it exhilarating and very exciting to plan these throughout the entire year. Yeah, that's fabulous. When did you do your worship meal? Did you do it? When did what day and time kind of thing is what I'm saying? Oh, Sunday morning. Sunday morning yeah, in the usual place. 11 o'clock. It was, we meet at 11 o'clock. We're a church for people who like to sleep in a little bit. And we, so once a month, the third, the third Sunday of the month, it was a potluck. 
uh, everybody brought something. And then when everybody got there at 11 o'clock, we did, you know, we said a, said a prayer and blessed the food. People made their plates and we began reading. We began singing. We began, you know, it just, it, we, we, we ate our way through the church service. That's fabulous. That's a nice, that's a nice surprise. Billy, how about you? Yeah, um, I think definitely during the season of Lent on Wednesday, Lenten Wednesdays, we have Taze services, which are about 25 minutes long, not long at all. I don't have a sermon. And, and Taze services, I think, grew out of the, the Catholic Church in France, I believe. And, um, you know, silence um, is emphasized. I mean, like we're quiet for about 10 minutes, which, you know, in this day and age, you know, we're never quiet and still that long. And, um, um, you know, at first when we, when we, I said, you know, this is going to be hard for people to do, but I think they, they love it. It's like our bodies, our minds, our souls are aching for this time of peace. And along with that silence, part woven into the service are these incredible Taze songs that are real, they're almost like humming chants that are very repetitive in the, the music and the words, which are often, um, you know, words from scripture, uh, they, they, go, they penetrate the whole spirit. They really do. And, and, and they're so hummable and you repeat them so much that, you know, you find yourself humming that music the next day. You know, it stays with you. And it is like a spiritual massage. And in this busy world we live in, I just, I am so thankful for Taze services. That's wonderful. We we use Taze music in our, our our Sunday regular Sunday services, but I I am impressed you're doing it for Lent. It, we we had some Lenten comic relief this year. Our Wednesday services were um, Lenten madness instead of March madness with basketball teams. We started with 32 Saints and then had a showdown to bracket them down. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow is our final showdown between Thomas of Villanova versus Jose Gregorio Hernandez. And then we have St. Christian uh, Crispin versus uh, St. Juana Inez de la Cruz. And that's the final four tomorrow night, man. We're going to find wow. out which saint wins the golden halo. How, how do the saints compete? We, we kind of square <laughs> off. I have like a PowerPoint presentation and we kind of cheer for them. We have like, you know, little, little kind of power, you know, like, like bullet points about what, what their, what, what their, uh, what their qualities are and everybody votes on who they like the best. But competing sort of miracles and then people cheer. Well, we, we've thrown those out there too. Yeah. The healing know. of the sick. Yes. Yes, exactly. We never thought St. Crispin would make it this far, but being the patron saint of organized labor and shoemakers, who knew? You, yeah. Well, labor, labor's a book. Go ahead. It's a cage mask. <laughs> cage, cage contest. What are they called? Cage, cage match. Cage, cage match. Yeah. something else. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rabbi, how about you? Well, I'm, I'm going to stick with the <clears throat> theme of Passover since Passover starts Friday night. And uh, we are doing a live Seder for the first time in three years. And we're very excited about it. We've done it virtually the last two. So you can do it at home, but we also do it at the synagogue. So people can do one at the home and one here. So we do it Friday and Saturday night. You can come to one. It's going to be a little smaller because we're limiting the numbers. But Passover is just a fantastic tradition because it combines 
Jewish tradition and the ancient tradition going back to Moses with family tradition or synagogue tradition. So you kind of meld things together. What kind of matzo balls are you going to have? What's going to be the horseradish? What stories are you going to tell? What pages in the book are you going to skip? Which is always a big one. How long is it going to be? And then you sit down with this food in front of you. And for about an hour, at least you don't eat. You know, the only you do eat some parsley and some matzah, but that's, you know, you're basically waiting to eat the whole time, sometimes two hours or three hours, and then you finally eat. So what's great about it is the Seder is the telling of the story of freedom and how our ancient uh, Israelite brethren left. However, you don't tell the story. You do it through games and readings. So you bring in apropos readings. We'll talk a little about Ukraine. I'm going to bring in this wonderful article from the New York Times about uh, African-Americans in Judaism with a, a famous uh, chef named Michael Twitty, who was actually uh, at our synagogue. You talk about women's rights. You talk about rights for people who are gay. You talk about a lot of issues in the day, and it allows everyone to bring up what they're thinking about and also tell family stories because that's one of the great parts of Seder is remembering the family story. My favorite family story is, you know, you have to find the afikoman, you have to find the matzah, they hide the matzah. Well, one year I'm with my uncle and the five of us, there are five young men, but we're all in our twenties. So we're not going to go run around the house looking for the afikoman. So he gives us a quiz. I may have said this before. He gives all of us a quiz. And what's the quiz? The quiz is family history, except we can't answer all the questions because we don't know all the answers. So we have to call our family members all around the country, oh, interrupt their Seder to ask them questions that only they would know. Great aunt did this. Great uncle did this. And it was a way for us to really learn family history. And then once we answered all the questions, he gave us the Alfie Coleman. So it's little things like that, you know, that really make it special. That's wonderfully creative. I, I think that, yeah. I mean, how to re replicate that too in the church community. That's a, that's a wonderful. I grew up in a, a Jewish neighborhood. And so all of my friends, we all went to public school together and, and, uh, just was always envious of the connection you were talking about, David, of having both worship and faith in uh, in the worship building, but also at home. And uh, just and of course, they tended to miss some days of school I didn't get to miss. <laughs> so I was always jealous of that too. <laughs> On that note, uh, Billy, are are there things you do working with your people to? I don't know, cultivate home traditions? I mean, maybe, uh, you know, I put this on all of us, like we, we, we not, we're not explicit enough about, let's talk about how, how to, I don't yeah. know, enliven, I'd, what does I'd Easter look like? I'd love some ideas. Home? Yeah, I'd love some ideas. I think I, we need to do that better, I think. Not well, sure the, the in the last, last two years of the pandemic, we really encouraged people to have a home altar. And it could be something very small, particularly this is a, a Lenten practice. And even like, so on Monday, Thursday, we would clean our altars together over Zoom and move everything off of the altar to get ready for Good Friday. But there's something really wonderful about having that 40 days of some kind of, you know, uh, commemoration right there in your home. Uh, I try to have some kind of object in every room of my house to remind me of, to keep present in terms of our faith traditions. 
Do, do you sometimes when we talk about doing building a home altar, you know, there's a kind of mindfulness of different different sorts of um, items to be laid on the altar. Do you do that, and then do you, do you share them with each other? That would we haven't done that. Yeah. Uh, it could be anything. It could be a photograph or a stone, or it could be a, a yeah. cloth, or it could be a flower or a petal or something that you pick. It is whatever it means to you. These things that are kind of reminding you of mm. where God is in your life. Mm. That's wonderful. So yeah. now you've created an assignment, which is for next week. I would like a couple of the objects from your home altar here for show and tell. And we'll talk about that next week is home altar week. Cause I'm so excited by that idea. And I really like show and tell. So you each get, we'll get three, three objects from your home altar. And so be prepared for next week. That's terrific. Let me now, can I change this question a little bit for folks outside your tradition, uh, how, <laughs> I have a well-formulated question down here somewhere. Yeah, I'm trying to say, for those who don't participate in your, in your tradition, but want to uh, encounter it, touch it, or, or without appropriating or something strange, but participate in it, how would you invite someone to do that uh, here and this week in particular, whether we're, we're thinking this is, is Holy Week or we have Passover coming up, you know, it, what might be a way to, 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 to taste of that? Oh, gosh. I mean, in the Christian tradition, Holy Week is chock full of stuff. Um, and my church certainly is, is, is wide open to anyone to come in to observe or participate. I think there are a lot of churches, I can only speak for the Episcopal Church, that allow anyone who wants to come and observe or participate to your level of comfort. But we've got... Yes, I was yeah, yeah. I was thinking about... And, sorry. I was thinking about, although <laughs> never miss a chance to invite people to church. I, I believe that too. But I, I, I was just thinking about like participating in these, like right now we're in the midst of, midst of Holy Week. How, if someone did wasn't part of that church tradition, but in their own life, might they have some entree into participation into the into the the sort of meaningful events of this week? Even just something Good Friday, you know. Well, I think even like for Monday Thursday, you could do a foot washing at home with your family, and it's it's not really scrubbing those feet. It's more about just pouring a little water over your feet and wiping it out, wiping it down. But it's um, you know it's 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 symbolic of our devotion to one another into our servanthood to one another into the community. That's, that's what that's, that's about. And that's it, great. That's just what I was asking. I mean, like to participate in this idea of like the participation in that idea of commitment to devotion to one another is a kind of way to do honor to that, um, to honor that. What do you, what do you think? I, and I think one of the beauties of the Taze service is it is that they don't have to fear about a minister theology and what he or she may be, that this where yes you're there as a community but we're um we're accenting the individual's own experience with god you know that's what we need more of i so often people will say to me i really get the sense as people visit different communities like they'll be listening for the content of the message according to and matching it against some kind of template which might not be fully formed, but a kind of screening. And so there's something about just suspending that, like you don't need to audit, edit, or process in that way. Like what, here's, here's a Latin phrase you can chant. Like, I don't even know what that means. And 
and have a more embodied and present experience. That too, I mean, going back to this idea of just the meal as worship, like the breaking of the bread, the simple blessing, some of these things that are, are not only ecumenical or interfaith or human are kind of spiritual experiences, but also really low experience. I mean, breaking bread and eating a bowl of soup is a, a, as low in the nicest sense of that word an experience as you could have as a basic experience. And I, I think we should do that at least once a month, have some kind of thing people come to where there's no, it's, it's content free isn't the right word, mm -hmm. but not quite so like linguistically message free. I liked what you said. I mean, like, I, I don't need you. I just want you to, right. I just want you to feel it, you know, that's right. Mm. And for us, it's Passover. I mean, this is a perfect example because the whole holiday is about freedom. And so, and the whole Seder is about explaining what's going on so people who are not familiar with it will understand a lot of it just because everything explained what's really great also is we have all these strange foods some of which taste delicious some of which taste delicious only if you've been eating it for 30 years and if you haven't it's really disgusting and so you know people come in and they taste all these different foods from matzah which some people like, but can be bland herositz, which looks like mud, which tastes great, to this fish cake called gefilte fish that if you haven't been eating it since birth, if your mom did not eat it while you were in the, video, in, in the womb, you will hate it. It's kind of all these wonderful tastes and stories. And it's really, the idea is you're supposed to invite guests, non-Jewish or Jewish. So that's a, it's a wonderful tradition to be able to invite. Now for us, unfortunately this year, because of COVID, we're limiting it to just members of our congregation. But usually we open up the seders to anyone and hopefully next year uh, we'll be able to, our building is not big enough to, to open it up to everyone this year, but hopefully next year. I wanted to go back and not to take us down into a hole, but and maybe it's something, it's something Cheney said. You know, there, there are elements of this week in particular in both Jewish and Christian traditions which are celebratory. And there are elements in these weeks which are, are the hard side of that, what we're celebrating, right? If we're celebrating resurrection and liberation and new birth after death and, and freedom after captivity, they go hand in hand. And the question is how much do we dwell? Um, the question I'm asking is how much do you dwell and how do you dwell in the, in the space of Good Friday or the space of the captivity that people have some connection with that and, not just we like Easter eggs in my tradition. So yeah, before you get to the Cadbury egg, there's a price. Now I'm being too silly. I'm taking this heavy. There's a there's something. There's a heavy side, right? There's a piece of this that's to dwell on the heavy side that you might experience a kind of the spiritual lift of of what's to come. How do you how do you dwell in that space? I'll start with you, Michael, since you brought it up and. I think of the Episcopalians as, as dwelling in, in dark spaces generally. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know. That's all of them. Just Michael. I'm yeah, no, you, I, I didn't mean to, oh, excuse me, not all of us. I just mean, Cheney, you're heavy, man. Like, so what's going on with that? Well, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you, you, you can't have Easter without Holy Week, you know, with, without Good Friday, there is no Easter. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it's important to, to, I, I don't mean, you know, dwell on Good Friday, but to go to that place, it is important, you know, and, and there's a lot of theology wrapped up around the execution of this Jesus fella, 
and what that meant. Uh, so I, I think we, we do need to spend some time there. We do need to sit in it. We, we do need to consider the implications of what that execution meant. So we can move forward on that third day and really recognize Easter for the resurrection that it is and what it still holds for us and what the promise still is. Because without it, again, Easter is just a, a pageantry, a, a day of pageantry. Rabbi or Billy, you were moving your mouth. <laughs> well, you know, I've just learned a word you you all are probably familiar with, liminal. Yeah. L-I-M-I-N-A-L. I wasn't familiar with that word, but just okay. learned about it recently because we, I, we've been, we hired a consultant to help us. We're merging with another um, church and, you know, a lot of people want it to be done real fast and everything kind of working smoothly, but we had to talk a lot about liminal living that we're in this space where it's kind of uncomfortable, but it's going to be birthed into something special. And, and it seems to me that it, it's like, I think it's almost like we're almost always in liminal living um, most of the time. And that, you know, yeah, the, 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 the dessert will happen. Uh, resurrection will happen, freedom will happen, but most of the time we're in that desert and we have to learn to live there in the moment um, if we really want this to be a fulfilling experience, you know, it seems to me. So I'm really starting to think, process more about liminal living, I think, that's just that's recently. That's deeply important. I mean, so we talk about in the in the Christian arc here, you know, uh, Good Friday to Easter Sunday, and there's there's very little consciousness of of this idea of Holy Saturday. I, I brought that up someone and said I've never heard of that, and because this this sort of in between oh that the 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 place where nothing happens, the place where nothing ha you know, and that's a beautiful spot of hanging between those things mm -hmm. in which a lot of our life is spent. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our life, I mean. All of our life has have, have the Good Fridays in them, have moments of despair and devastation. Few of our, I, I don't think people escape that in life. And, and if we're fortunate, we have moments of revelation, but a lot of it is liminal is not the 10% between these two peaks. It's, it's actually wide swaths that you live in, in this shadow of loss with grief, for instance, until light comes or all kinds of things, yeah. By the way, I'm jotting down my y'all are helping me with my sermon for Sunday. So thank you. So we need much. to we need to group work these sermons. I do not know why. I, I hate to say it like that Zoom church brought that on too. like, why is everybody writing a sermon? I got all these colleagues on like Saturday night. They're like, and it's just like, go ahead. We'll, we'll just beam it in. Like why? We only need 20 of us stressing out. If right. I got a sermon done, you could have it. You know, I mean, just it's, it, but of course that collapses our industry. So that's a problem. It's all part of my radical socialist agenda. <laughs> I think he's got the pad. They, they know what's coming out. The there. radical socialist agenda is about clergy copying sermons from each other. Got it. Okay. That changes the whole political game for me. Now I understand what's going on. That's what radical socialist agenda means. Well, I anyway. Well, we should we should do we should do a preaching rotation week or something. That we should do something creative some week. That would be a, that would be an awesome. That's a great week. idea. That is that is. I was I was looking. There's a I shared with this with you a, a long time ago. There's a group in the Midwest who built this that extraordinary campus, this sort of uh, tri faith 
and they have a synagogue and the uh, Islamic temple and a, a Christian church, Congregationalist church, all sharing this fabulous campus. And uh, anyway, it's just a really neat idea would be to have that kind of rotating preaching and then in the center of it to be able to share things like just meals of faith and things like that. Anyway, they're going, they're in transition now. So they need, they need a minister. If anyone's, if anyone's looking that I was like, that is like a dream. If I had a hundred million bucks, build the campus. So let me ask this question. Uh, and maybe it's our parting question. Um, give me a recommendation of something in the spirit of this week that I ought to read or watch or consume. Cheney's always prepared for show and tell. He's got bugs and slugs. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. You can start because you you always have a film or a book to recommend. Oh my gosh, what to watch this week? I actually had this really do one. Do have this wonderful book on bugs and slugs. It's got lots of wonderful butterflies and also plenty of slugs to help identify as well while you're in the field. Oh, gosh, man, I can't read anything this week. I'm so busy preparing for, you know, every day, one thing after another. Um, how do I get, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, man. You do have me stumped. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Billy, you help us yeah, out. I, I think it's called The Final Week or The Last Week. It's by Marcus Borg and maybe John Dominic Crossan wrote it with them. They might have done dual writing, but it's about this week. Um, and it, it, you know, these great theologian historians bring this week to life in a way I had never thought about it before. And for instance, you know, this, this parade we celebrated in on, on Sunday, the Palm Sunday parade for Jesus, you know, they, they make the point there was another parade going on yeah. at the same time. The Romans were having their parade on stallions and with the weapons and everything else. And you could see everything about to collide <laughs> together. But uh, I would highly recommend that. It's, I think it's The Last Week by Marcus Borg. Yep. Maybe John Dominic Crossan too. It's great. It's over here on the shelf. That's a good one. Thank you. That's new to me. So I'll, I'll do that. Rabbi? Well, first of all, what, who's that theologian, Billy, that you love? Deal or Neil? Um, Nathan? Uh, one of the ones you quote a lot. I just forgot the name. So funny. Uh, Richard Rohr. No, it's Marcus. Marcus. There's another one. I, that's so funny. I forgot it because my wife was doing a crossword puzzle and that guy was there and I knew it right away. My theologian here, the, I was like, oh, this guy. And I just forgot the name now. And it was right <laughs> wow. uh, because it was you. Now, now I've forgotten which one it was. But for me, uh, I'm reading a book called Morality by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who is the former chief rabbi of England. He's written a bunch of books. He just passed away last year. And it's about society today and what we need to do to really create some semblance of peace and cooperation. Beautiful book. And uh, for movies, obviously, I mean, it's Passover. I mean, it's the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston as Moses, or the Prince of Egypt, Val Kilmer as Moses, probably the most beautifully animated movie of all time. I don't know if it's the best one, but probably the best, maybe the best soundtrack. And good music, good music. Music is yeah. beautiful. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and of course, the Ten Commandments is, you know. Was that Yul Brenner in there too? Was Yul Brenner played um, Pharaoh. So 
It's just incredibly, uh, for movies with Passover, there's a lot of other ones. There's the original 1920s, 10 Commandments, the silent feature. That's wow. also pretty good. But uh, those are the two, the two best movies on the 10 Commandments, Charlton Heston and Val Kilmer as Moses. I got to yeah. back mine up. I will tell you something, something I, I watch every Good Friday is Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, um, yes. It, it puts me in the it, it puts me in the space I need to be in for Easter. I mean, I've been watching it for years. One Linton book I've been reading is Barabbas uh, by this uh, Swedish guy, Par Lagersvit. He got the Nobel Prize in 1951, I think, for this. It's really interesting. It's about the guy that got acquitted in exchange for Jesus. Uh, and it's a wonderful parable. Well, that's fabulous. I was going to say I'm watching the new season of Better Call Saul, but I've been sitting here struggling to, to just get the tie-in to Holy Week, but I nonetheless recommend it to you. And on that note, I'm going to conclude our time together. And so next week we're doing altars. I want to invite those who are in our studio to invite a friend and also bring something from your altar because we're going to we'll ask you for at least your words to, to share what's on, on your altar next week. And uh, then I expect everyone to read and watch everything that's been recommended because there will be a short quiz, nothing to stress about, but uh, you got, you got to do your work in order to pass this class. That's what I say. <laughs> Thank you, my friends. Good to be together. Peace, everybody. Stay safe and happy Great holidays. And holidays. <laughs>